0: We've been preaching through an Advent series as we have been focusing in on several of the biblical themes that surround Advent. We mentioned a few of them earlier. We've looked and examined the concept of hope and peace and joy, and this morning we're focusing on love. And there is no greater voice in Scripture on the concept of love than John, the beloved apostle. Uh, the one that was probably closest to Jesus in friendship, and he has much to say about love. And as I was chewing on and thinking on this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at from First John chapter 4 this morning, I was reminded of those pictures that you see when you go into maybe a doctor's office. It's called, I don't know if you know it, I didn't know what it was called. I had to look it up and do a Google search. It's called a stereogram. Have you seen one of these stereograms? It's a picture that's up on the wall and it just looks like a bunch of different patterns in this mesh and everything else. And if you look at it in just the right way, some 3D image is supposed to miraculously pop out of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've seen them on the walls of of the doctor's offices. They frustrate the fire out of me. Because I have never, despite all of my best efforts, been able to actually see whatever image they say is there. I think they're lying It's because it's just there. But what frustrates me even more is my dad. My dad has the ability. I'll be standing there staring at this thing for who knows how long. My dad walks up immediately, says, oh, it's a boat. Oh, it's a tiger. How in the world do you see this? And that's when he looks at me immediately and he says, he says, well, don't look at the picture. What in the world are you talking about? I'm don't look at the picture. I'm how am I supposed to see it if I don't look at the picture? And that's when he says, oh, you can't look at the picture. You've got to look through the picture. All right, Yoda, what what does that do? And he turns around and he walks away and I'm left just staring at this thing looking for some image that's supposedly embedded in this picture that I'm just blinded to. Because I'm not looking at it the right way and I can't see it. And as I was thinking on that, that, that made me realize that, that oftentimes there are people out in the world who are not believers who look at the lives of Christians in a lot the same way that I look at this stereogram. They're frustrated with us because we'll walk into a circumstance or a situation and we'll, we will immediately see what they can't see. We'll walk in and we'll say something like, oh, God's hand is at work here. Or we'll jump in and we'll say God's glory is present in something. Or, or we'll see his presence assuring us of something. And that leaves our unbelieving friends just as frustrated as I am left staring at this picture that my dad can see something in that I can't. And so it makes me realize that we have to be patient with these friends because there are certain things, certain truths within Christianity that can only be seen and understood through the lens of faith. But there are certain aspects of our belief of our faith, certain attributes of God that are supposed to be visible to the watching and to the observing world. However, the, the key to the clarity of that is our obedience and the lives that we live as children of God. There's no attribute of God, no, no aspect of our faith that is a better example of this than love. The world has its ideas of what love is supposed to be. Hollywood has promoted a certain image of love as some romanticized emotional experience or feeling that seems to just come upon us or leave us as if it has a mind of its own. And so we're left with this notion that love is an accident, something that we fall into or out of. Love is something that happens to us. But that's not what the Bible has to say about love. That's not the identity or the truth of what is true love. The Bible gives us a deeper and richer picture of this love. True love is God's love. We we can know this love, and those of us who've experienced this love in Jesus Christ from God bear the responsibility of showing, displaying that love for the world around us. And it's when we are obedient to live out this love in this way, John tells us, that the rest of the world gets to see what they're supposed to see. Look with me, if you will, in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we humble ourselves, not merely to read from your word, but to hear from your word the truth of who you are and how you expect us to live Because of who you have made us in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this message of love would fall on no heart in this room more heavily than it falls on my own. That, Father God, I would be moved to love as I have been loved, those that are around me. That I would bear well the responsibility of proclaiming that love and displaying that love and showing that love and leading out as an example of that love before this congregation. And I pray, Father, that we would then become that example of love before the world and how we love our families and how we love our friends, how we love our neighbors and strangers, and even, Father God, how we love those that we hate. So, Father God, I pray that you would lead us deeper into your love. I pray that you would sanctify us this morning by the preaching of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As always, when we pick up a passage of Scripture, we're stepping into the middle of a conversation. And so we need to make sure that we understand a little bit of context to make sure that we know and rightly discern what it is that John wants us to know. John has written this letter to a people who are suffering not persecution and turmoil from the outside, but turmoil from the inside of their congregation. These are. He is writing to the remnant of the faithful believers who are left after some false preachers and apostles and teachers had been proclaiming a false gospel. We don't know exactly who they were. We think that they might have been some early Gnostics or, or someone that preceded them. But regardless, they were preaching a false gospel, and in preaching this false gospel, they led an entire group of the congregation not just to go and plant another faithful church, but led them away into what we call apostasy, faithlessness. And that left these Christians struggling, wrestling with the the assurance of their salvation. If that is true Christianity and we, we turn away from that, what then does that mean for our souls? And so John is writing to encourage these. And he is writing to reassure them of their salvation by reminding them of specific truths that they have believed and that they held. The most crucial truth, one of the most crucial truths that he wants them to know is that they are loved. And by extension, he wants us to know we are loved. John opens this this verse with uh, this section of Scripture with a word that he loves to use throughout his letter, and that word is the word beloved. Those who are recipients of this letter are those who are loved by God. He is speaking to those who are the recipients and participants of God's love. Love is the core of the Christian identity. That is the cornerstone, almost the foundation of who we are. We are those who are loved by God. Those who are sharing in a covenant relationship with the eternal God of the universe. Who have been adopted into his family so that we are called sons and daughters and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. As his children, that assumes that we are loved by God. And John is reassuring this group of believers that they are loved. And he wants them to know that God is the source of love. He says in that verse 7 and verse 8 that God is, that love is from God and God is love. God is the source of love. God is the giver of love. It flows from Him and to Him. And so John wants them to know that because God is love, because love is from God, that should shape their identity. Now something that we need to know when John says God is love, John is not saying at the same time that love is somehow God. We have to be clear on that. Love does not define God. Instead, God defines love. For us to understand what love is, we have to understand who God is. When we study God, we come to know love because God defines love. And since God defines love, as we understand that that God does this, we learn that because God is love, everything that God does is loving. That can be really hard, especially in a world that's suffering right now. Over the last couple of weeks, my mom has been doing a Bible study at her church and she called me up and she said, Will, what do we do with these passages of Scripture that talk about, like Job, for example, who says, should we receive good from God and not at the same time receive evil? What about passages of Scripture that say calamity comes from God? What about passages of Scripture that talk about his jealousy, that talk about his wrath, that talk about his justice and his righteousness? How do we mesh those with the reality that God is love, that God is good? To hash into that would be beyond what we're talking about here. What we have to understand is that everything that God does is loving. His jealousy is a loving jealousy. His righteousness is a loving righteousness. His sovereignty is a loving sovereignty. His mercy is a loving mercy. Because God is love, nothing that he does is unloving. He defines love. And so as we study him, we come to know what love is. And because God is love, those who claim to be of his family, as John says, those who are born of God, and those who claim to be his friends, those who know God, we must therefore reflect that love. If we're in a relationship with the God who is love, then that love should be poured into us and out of us as we reflect that. John makes that statement twice in a positive way and a negative way in these verses as he says, whoever loves has been born of God, but if you don't love, you are not of God. He says it in both the positive and the negative as he nails this down for these believers that their love from God and their love for others is the key to understanding their relationship with this God who is love. To be a child of God is to be loved by God. To be loved by God is to be compelled to love others. Our identity is that we are, in verse 7, beloved. Those who are loved by God. That's who we are. Who we are then determines what we do. Our identity determines our behavior. So since we are loved people, we must love people. Love people, Love people. That's essentially what John says in those very first four words in the ESV. Beloved, let us love one another. He says, love people, love people. It's not just a statement of fact, but instead it is a command given to us by Jesus Christ and through John here. Loved people, you must love people. Or else you don't really know what it is to be loved. And so first, John wants us to see that we are loved, and second, he wants us to see that we must love. If our identity determines that we love others, then the question is, how should we love those that are around us? And John gives us God's example. If God defines love, then to love in its truest sense, we must, we must understand how God has loved and then live out that love in our lives. And so John highlights for us the practice of love, God's practice of love in these verses. Because God has already modeled his love for us. And since he's modeled that love, we're to follow that example. And so one of the things that we see in verse 9 is that God's love is generous. John says that God has manifested this love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made visible to us. Love is something that can only be known when it's seen. Just like faith without an outward expression of it John or James tells us is dead. So I can tell you I love you all day long, but my actions in a sense, the decisions of how I live my life are going to confirm or deny that. If I tell you that I love you and then punch you in the face, it's very clear that I either have an extremely warped understanding of love or I don't really love you. So our love must take on something. And so God has displayed His love with a generous act. John 3.16, we often read it and it's translated, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And a lot of times when we read that, what we hear in our heads is God so loved the world. He loved the world so much. And it's true that God loves us in an amazingly great way. But a better translation of that verse is not using so. Instead, it's God loved the world in this way. This is how God loved the world, by sending his son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. The greatness of God's love is not tied to that little word so, instead it's tied to what God did and what God gave, which is his only son. And that's exactly what John says right here again in verse 9 that God that the love of God was made manifest among us that he sent his only son into the world. First God gave Love compels us to do for others. When there is someone that we love and that we care about and where that person is hurting and where that person is in need, love compels us to meet that need. To step into that person's life. To, to be generous with what we have. God saw us in our need, which is our sin, and he did not abandon us there, but instead he gave. And he didn't just give in a little way. He gave in the single greatest way that is imaginable and is possible. Because God didn't send an angel or a created being or a human being. God sent his only son. The emphasis of the only there is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. One of the measures of the value of something is how common it is. Diamonds are valuable because we don't just walk through our gravel driveway and pick up a diamond. They're rare. Unique means it is one of a kind. God alone is one of a kind. There is no one like him. Jesus Christ is the perfect manifestation of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of the Father, who has lived for all of eternity past in a perfect relationship with God, who chose to clothe himself in humanity and enter into the world that we might, John says, have life in Him. It isn't just that God sent. It's not just that God sent something valuable. It's that God sent something for a purpose, and this is the key. God sent His Son that we might have life, everlasting life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. When and where we see a need, we desire to meet that need We don't just write a check and give it to somebody who is suffering so that they have money to wave around. We write it so that we might meet a need. And that was the purpose of Christ coming into the world. Not just that he would die, but that he would be raised again to new life, everlasting life. That we might receive an eternal life that we don't have and don't deserve. God sent his son as a Sacrifice. His love then accomplished what was best for us. Even though it wasn't what we wanted, He loved at an extreme cost by sending His only Son, Jesus Christ. And He did it in a real way, in a visible way. In the same way, our love for the world around us must not just be in theory. It must not just be in our minds and in our heads. Because we can show up around here and we can say, Oh yeah, we love the world in the same way that we have a brother or sister come to us with a need and we say, okay, I'll pray for you. And we might as well have just patted on the back and said, I bless your heart. Because we walk away and very rarely do we actually pray for one another. And we march in here and we say, I love you, brother. And we don't think about or pray about or consider one another until we're face to face with each other on another seven days. And we live in this cycle And we say, oh yeah, we love the world in theory, in the big picture, in the sense that God loves the world, but not in specifics. And that's the second point that we see of God's love. The second picture of God's love is that God's love is self-initiated. John Stott put it this way in his commentary on 1 John, it's not our love that is primary, but God's. free." uncaused, spontaneous, and all our love is but a reflection of his and a response to it. In verse 11, John puts it this way, or in verse 10, John puts it this way, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God's love is not a response to something. God didn't sit around and wait for us to be worthy of his love. God didn't respond even, God's love for us is not based upon our need for his love. Instead, his love is self-generated in his character, his identity. Because he is love, he will love, he does love, he must love. And so God's love comes within himself. It's not tied to our failures. It's not tied to our successes or our worth or our goodness. As we prayed earlier, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. God has loved us at our worst. God loves us at our best. God loves us every single place in between. There is nothing that you can do today, child of God, that will make God love you less. But at the same time, there's nothing that you can do today that will make him love you more because his love for you is full to the brim. Because he loves his son, Jesus Christ, perfectly. and When you are in Christ, you are loved by God as God loves Christ. And so as Christians, because God's love is not in any way dependent upon our worthiness, instead it is self-initiated, it is uncaused, it's spontaneous, we are to love in that same way. We are never exempt from the Bible's command to love. The Bible commands you to love the person who is in the most intimate relationship that a human being can be as God commands husbands to love your wives. God takes it to the very next level as he says that we are to love our brethren, the brothers and sisters. As John says here, beloved, let us love one another. The Bible tells us that we are to love our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is whoever is around us, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke, in the Good Samaritan, whoever is around us who is in need. Well, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't like them. They're, they're not, I understand that they're not my neighbor, but I just can't stand them. I don't like them anymore. That doesn't change the fact that God has commanded you to love even your enemies. As Jesus Christ says, we are to love our enemies. There is never a point, there is never a person who is an exception to God's command for you to love as you've been loved. Because that's how God loved us. An infinitely holy and righteous God. Ray Van Nest puts it this way. He says, God loved those who hated him. We cannot excuse ourselves from love because people are difficult. If the sinless God can love sinful people, then sinful people can surely love other sinful people. We are each and every one commanded to love those that are around us. Love those who are like us. Love those who are opposed to us and different from us. And love even those that make us uncomfortable and scared. We are to love as God loved us with a self-initiated kind of love. It's not okay for me to end up in this bartering relationship with my wife, this tit-for-tat kind of trade where if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours in this kind of way. But that's how we oftentimes trade in love. That because you're not doing what I need, giving me what I need, speaking to me in the way that I need my love language, I don't have to love you back. That's a dangerous place to be in because that's not how God has loved you. Instead, we are to love regardless of the other person's worthiness or not. Love is supposed to be a part of who we are in the overflow of our relationship with God. That is how God loved us, and that is how we are to love one another. John also says that God's love is not just generous, it's not just self-initiated, it's self-sacrificial. Again, John Stott puts it this way, love is self-sacrifice the seeking of another's positive good at one's own cost and a greater self-giving god a greater self-giving than god's gift of his son there has never been nor ever could be john says in this is love not that we love god but that god loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins that's a big word propitiation and we looked at that last, this past summer when we studied through this same letter. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But essentially, a propitiation is the one who absorbs the punishment that someone or something deserves. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of Jesus Christ himself in a prophecy. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That is the very example of someone, something that is a propitiation. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God that you deserve and that I deserve because of our willful disobedience and rebellion against God. Sin is not just an oopsie-daisy and an accident. It is a defiant looking in the face of God and say, I know better how to live my life. Thanks, but no thanks. I will do my thing my way. That deserves the wrath of God. The punishment of a just and a righteous and a perfectly loving God. And Jesus Christ steps into the way of God's wrath to absorb what we deserve. That's how Jesus gives us life. Because he took the death that we deserve. He traded places with us. He who knew no sin, Paul says in the letters to the Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's how Jesus loved us. He loved us generously, he loved us intentionally, he loved us sacrificially with a, an extreme cost to himself, beyond the point that it was convenient. It's not okay to just love people when it's convenient for you. We're called to love people especially when it's difficult, especially when it's hard, with a commitment and a passion that is a reflection of what Christ did for us, how Christ loves us. We are to persevere in love because that's how God loved us. God's love holds firm and holds fast to us even when we continue to wrestle with sin. Even when we continue to wrong Him and offend Him and live our lives defiantly against Him. When we are in Christ and adopted by God in Christ, we are loved by Him at every stage and in every way as He continues to sacrifice and love us. And that is how we are to love God one another, just as God loved us. John says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, if this is how God loved us, that's how we should love one another. You're loved by God. Now, love like God is what John says to you and to me in these verses. And the beautiful thing that happens is that as we live out our identity as those loved by God through loving others, we then make what is invisible visible by our love. Just as God sent His Son into the world to be a display for us, so now we are sent by Jesus into the world to be the picture of His love for them. We become the image of God's love. We are that stereogram Whereas the more that we live out the love of God in front of the world, the more God's love becomes visible for them. And so in the idealist sense, the church of Jesus Christ should be able to tell the world, don't look just through us to see God's love, but look at us to see God's love. See our example in God's love. And if we cannot say that, we are failing, disobedient, Defiant. We are meant to be the image of God's love in the world in how we love each other and how we love the world. God loved us generously. God loved us intentionally. God loved us sacrificially. In this way, we are now to go and love each other and love the world so my question to you this morning as we close is do you know that love are you living in that relationship with the God who is love and who gives love because we can't love the world in this way if we are not being loved in this way first and foremost And so if there is anything that is tearing you from God, separating you from Him because of your sin, because of your disobedience, or because even of your ignorance and what it is that God would expect from you, then I would encourage you this morning, step out in faith and step into God's love to do everything for you that you can't do for yourself, to fill you up with His love so that you can then love those that are around you. And that starts by entering a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By receiving his love for you that he he died in order to lavish upon you. To believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. To trust him with your forever. To surrender your life completely and totally to him. To be obedient to him. And if you are a child of God today, if you are born of God and if you know God, then John's command to you is to go and love like God loves. What is holding you back from that? Is it your ignorance? You don't know how to love? You're struggling? And I'd encourage you to humble yourself and reach out and ask for help. Ask for discipleship. Ask for training. Ask for an an example, someone to step in and love you as God has loved you. Maybe you just need to come and fall on your face before the Lord and confess your sin and cry out to forgiveness today. You can do that right here, right now. So take a moment, close your eyes and bow your heads and go before the Lord. And I ask that you would pray. And you would ask the Holy Spirit to to show you how it is that you can surrender to God's love today. And then how you can display God's love to the world that's around you. Take a moment and pray. And I'll conclude, I'll close this in prayer in a moment.